The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I want you to make real progress toward that celestial city. I don't want you to take a side cut. I don't want you to be deceived by Apollyon. I want you to walk in victory, in joy, in peace as you make your way toward heaven. We are much closer than you or I could even imagine to the grand redemption of Jesus as he comes and he meets with us. And he carries us through as his bride. We are at the door even at the door. You will see things happen in the next months that will absolutely shock you. You will see sudden judgments come upon the world 
upon the wicked. And those of us who belong to Jesus, we will hide ourselves in him. For he is our refuge. He is our Pesach, the wing of God extended over us. He is everything. But now we have some serious issues to talk about. I continue today with the Sermon on the Mount. And I need to come back to the very first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the ones mourning, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the ones hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the ones having been persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Blessed are you when when they may insult and persecute you, and may say every wicked word against you falsely for my sake. You must rejoice and must be glad for yourselves, because your reward is great in the heavens. For they so persecuted the people, the prophets, before you. Now come back with me to that first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. That word for poor, in way of review, means grinding poverty. No possible way to help myself, just surviving. What is it that causes a person to be poor in spirit? It is only one thing. It is sin. It is rebellion against God. Now, Jesus sat on that mount. It's really not a mount. It's just a hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee, gently sloping down to the water's edge. Blessed are the poor, or how happy are the poor. That is, when a person begins to recognize their sin, and they begin to repent for that sin, and they begin to mourn, Over that sin, blessed are the ones mourning, for they will be comforted. When a person begins to mourn over that sin, the blessing of God comes upon them. They will be comforted. The word comfort means to bring forth the pain. It means nothing is going to remain hidden. We're going to talk about everything. In other words, that that boil has to be lanced and drained. That cancer has to be removed. So Jesus is saying, okay, when you recognize your grinding poverty is caused by your sin, And you begin to weep over that sin. You begin to mourn over that sin. 
The Lord will comfort you. He'll bless you. <coughs> now, we need to stop there just a moment. We need to stop and ask, does a farmer always plow his field time after time after time? No, I was raised on a farm. We plowed the field in the springtime. And then we disked the field, sharp blades cutting up all of the clods of dirt. And then we harrowed the field. The final preparation that broke that beautiful dark soil and made it loom quality. And then you plant the field. Do you always disc? No. Do you always harrow? No. If you always, if you always plowed, you could never plant. Now, please stay with me on this. This is vital. Blessed are the poor, the, the ones in grinding poverty. Blessed are the ones who mourn over that grinding poverty. I want to just very quickly go to the book of Romans. Romans 5, verse 8, But God confirms his own love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But much more than having been made righteous by means of his blood, we shall be saved through him from the wrath of God. In other words, there is a progressive movement in the life of a Christian. But if this first step is missed, this is the entryway into the kingdom of God. Identifying your absolute poverty before God is the first step toward mourning over that, weeping over that wickedness that you have committed against him. This is the opening for the kingdom of heaven for you. There is no other gate. That's why John the Baptist came preaching, repent. Jesus came preaching, repent. Peter came preaching on the day of Pentecost, repent. In other words, start the process of entering into the kingdom of God. Start the process by identifying your absolute poverty before God. Mourn over that poverty. Weep over it. That's why when you look at the great revivals of the past where the presence of God came in mighty power, under Jonathan Edwards, that awesome preacher of righteousness, sinners in the hands of an angry God. He preached that message in his church, and they yawned at him. They had hard hearts. They would not hear. But he preached it at a neighboring church, and the first great awakening exploded in the Americas. They began to weep over their condition. This is the mark of revival when suddenly the power of God comes and exposes the wickedness of a man's heart. When that wickedness is exposed, great mourning will take place. Great weeping will take place. Right now, we don't have revival in America. So each of us must go and do this pleading for God's mercy. Now, what will happen out of that? 
is that our hearts will be humbled. Our hearts will be humbled before a mighty God. When our hearts are humbled before God, he begins to work in us a new work, a work of redemption. Now, it's very tempting to always remain in the place of poverty of spirit and of mourning over our condition. That's not what God wills for us. He wants us to move forward, allowing a total transformation in our heart to take place, causing us to look honestly at who we are and to acknowledge what we have done and not done. But I want to emphasize today, this is only a short-term process. Oh, it may be a month. It may be two months. But it is not a lifetime. The Beatitudes are stair steps toward entire sanctification. They are the stair steps by which we enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I want to take you to a passage in the book of Corinthians, the sixth chapter. I'm going to begin reading for you in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, if you're following in the scriptures, keep your finger right there in 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, and let me read for you a passage out of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. You must pursue peace with all men and the holiness without holiness with which no one will see the Lord seeing to it lest anybody falling from the grace of God let some root of bitterness growing up may cause trouble and by this may defile many with sin lest anyone be a fornicator or a godless person like Esau who in exchange for one meal sold his birthright. For you must know that even afterward, desiring to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, although having sought it with tears. But these were not tears of true repentance. These were tears of the consequence for his actions, not repentance for his actions. That's going to be the condition of those at the end of time when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ and they begin to cry for mercy as they see that they are about to be thrown into the lake of fire because they had not repented of their sin and turned from it while there was time available to them. It's very clear that without holiness, no man, no woman, no child will see the Lord. And some of you have allowed a root of bitterness to grow up in your heart. And that root of bitterness is causing trouble for you and your family with the Lord. And it will cause you and your family, to be defiled with sin. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so come back with me now 
to 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You must not be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters. Who is an idolater? What's the meaning here? It's very simple. An idolater is one who puts in front of the mighty God of heaven an idol. That idol could be your job, your family. It could be your own plans. It could be your own attitudes. Whatever it is that you worship, that you give great wealth to, great value to, ahead of the almighty God of heaven, that is called in scripture, adultery or idolatry. So neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. In that day, the effeminate referred to male prostitutes, either with men or women. Nor same-sex activity, nor thieves, nor those who covet, nor drunkards, nor abusive persons, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And these things some of you used to be, but you washed yourselves. You were made holy. I want you to notice, don't don't quickly go over these precious words. Every word has great meaning. You washed yourselves. This is something you do to yourself. Some of you say to me, it's like God is a million miles away from me, Pastor. What's going on? Well, it's like the farmer. He and his wife are driving to town in the pickup. And they come up on a car driving slow ahead of them. And there's a young man behind the steering wheel and there's a young woman sitting with him under that steering wheel and he has his arms around her. And they're driving. And the wife of the farmer says to him, very wistfully, Honey, do you remember when we were like that? And his answer was, I didn't move. In other words, he's still sitting behind the steering wheel, but she's on the far side of the truck. I didn't move. I want you to hear that. God didn't move. God is still right there. You moved. You lost your first love. You moved away from him because you moved closer to things that please your flesh, to darkness. You began watching the television. You began spending hours on the internet, watching YouTube videos. You began reaching out, consuming things of darkness, maybe even Good things like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But it was not God. It was your own plan. It was your own desire. It was your own will. He says, you washed yourselves. In other words, you returned to the Lord. If you come close to the Lord, he will come close to you. God is only as far away from you as you have moved away from him. It's a sequential act. When you choose to be close to God, when you choose to be washed in the blood of Jesus, you will be made holy. It says, but you were made righteous 
in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. To be made righteous, to be made holy, is a work of the blood of Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit strives with your heart. But you have a part to play. We used to say, come to Jesus just as you are. And that's true. And you are washed by his blood. But you must come to him. You must begin to go through, blessed are the poor in spirit. You must identify the grinding poverty of your spirit as you are separated from God and you are distant from him. And you will mourn over that distance before before that distance can be closed. And the result will be your heart will be exceedingly humble. The arrogance will be broken in your heart. But let me take this further. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor same-sex activity, nor thieves, nor those coveting, nor drunkards, nor abusive persons, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And these things some of you used to be, but you washed yourselves. In other words, you took action to turn from your sin to go to Jesus. But now let me bring it very sharply home to your heart. As I was meditating on these words, verse 10 leapt out at me. Nor thieves. I began to think about that. Pray about that. I recognize that many of you, even as I did, stole yourself from God. You did not create you. You were knitted together in your mother's womb as a gift of mercy and grace to have an opportunity to live. You were not entitled to life. You were given a short time of probation upon this earth to determine whether or not you would choose the Almighty God or whether you would choose the power of darkness. Some of you have even yet not returned yourself to Almighty God and acknowledged that he is your creator and that he owns you. You do not own yourself. You did not create you. You did not breathe life into your body. But by the grace of God, you would have been a stillborn, or even worse, you would never have even existed. God took that egg of the female and that sperm of the male, but it was his hand using those that knit you together in your mother's womb. Jesus said he even counts the hairs of our head. He knows in detail every part of our heart and our life, our body. You are very valuable to him, so valuable that he shed his blood for you. He died to redeem you. You are precious to him. Now, I want to be very clear. There were prostitutes. There were adulterers. There were fornicators. There were homosexuals and thieves, drunkards, abusive persons, 
swindlers, liars, cheaters. And he's saying, some of you used to be these things. But you chose to turn from that to the Almighty God. And he washed you. He made you holy. He reclaimed you as his own. He did all of this by the Spirit of the Lord through the blood of Jesus. Now, this issue is so huge regarding theft from God. I want to take you to another passage. It's also in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. I'll begin reading in verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit indwelling you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought. You were redeemed at a price. Therefore, you must glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Some of you think you have the right to go drink whatever alcohol you might choose to drink, that you have a right to go on and do whatever you might choose to do, not recognizing that you are you are property of the Almighty God. He made you. You don't have a right to say, this is what I'm going to do with my life. I think I'll be a doctor. I think I'll be a preacher. I think I'll be a teacher. I think I'll be an attorney. I think I'll be a mechanic. I think I'll be whatever I want to be, I'll be. You stole yourself from God. And now you need to return yourself as stolen property and report to the Almighty God. And when you do so, the beginning place for that return of property to the Almighty God is to identify the grinding poverty of your own heart. And in that place, begin to weep over what you have done to God. You see, sin, first and foremost, is not what it does to you. Sin is first and foremost what it has done to the Almighty God in hurting him, in stealing from him. And the human heart, remember Adam and Eve as they were in that Garden of Eden, and they they sinned against Almighty God. They sided with the powers of darkness. And then God came in the cool of the evening to walk with them, to fellowship with them, to love them, to court them as his future bride. And they were nowhere to be found. And he called out, Adam, Adam. And there he was hiding in the bushes. He had stolen himself from God. And now he was separated. He had to leave his home. He lost everything. When we steal ourselves from God, we are hurting the one who comes looking for us Yes, it hurt Adam and Eve as well. Sin never hurts just one person. I read earlier the root of bitterness that grows up in a man's heart. I'm going to cut that person off. They're garbage. What has he just done? A root of bitterness has grown in his heart because his expectations were not met. He is God. 
no humility of heart. And when that occurs, it hurts the heart of God. It hurts other people. But it also hurts you. And you become a thief as you have stolen yourself from the Lord. And the call to repent is a call to return the stolen property to the one you have stolen it from, to return yourself to Almighty God. And you return yourself to Almighty God, according to Jesus, by beginning to recognize the binding, grinding poverty of your situation. All make-believe has to end. You have to recognize your true condition before a holy God. And as you do that, you will automatically begin to weep before him. And if you do not weep before him, you have not yet understood the depth of what you have done to God, to yourself, and to other people. I have shed Many, many tears over what I have done to God, to Jesus, and other people, and to myself. I praise God that it says, after your finished mourning, you will be comforted. All of the pain comes forth. You're no longer in pain. You're walking now in peace. Now there is joy in your heart. Now if we come back, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. You were redeemed with a price. Therefore you must glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You've returned stolen property to Almighty God. Now, as the Lord deals with this issue, in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea is no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having been prepared as a bride, having been adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice out of heaven saying, Look, The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will not exist anymore, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor will there be any more pain, because the former things have all passed away. Then Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That is, I'm the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one thirsting out of the fountain of the water of life freely. The one overcoming will inherit these things, and I will be to him God, and he will be to me a son. Now, if you look at the the seven churches of Revelation. Every one of those churches have one statement in common, and that is, you must overcome. Well, what does it mean, you must overcome? It means you must recognize the grinding poverty of your heart, and you must return the stolen merchandise to God. You must must restore yourself to God. And you will mourn over the wickedness of your heart. 
as you come confessing your sin before him. But now notice that in this Revelation 21, verse 8, but the cowardly, that is, those who are afraid to return themselves to God, those who are afraid of what other people will think, the cowardly and unbelieving, the children of Israel were stranded for 40 years in the desert as the men died who would not stand in belief to enter the promised land. Nothing makes God angrier faster than not believing his word. But the cowardly and the unbelieving, the vile and the murders, the fornicators, the magicians, the idolaters, and all the liars. Their part is in the lake, the one burning with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. In the second death, a man's spirit, his soul, and his body are all cast into that lake burning with fire. When a man dies now, his body dies, but his spirit returns and is either put in prison in hell or is held in paradise for the time when each will be given that spirit body. What are you going to do? In that great day, Jesus says in Revelation 22, the one being unjust must be unjust still, and the one being defiled must be defiled still, and the righteous one must be righteous still, and the holy one must still be holy. You must pay attention. I'm coming soon. My reward is with me to give each one according to his work. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are the ones always doing his commandments so that the authority will be theirs to taste of the tree of life and they may enter into the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs. In that day, dogs were not pampered. They were outcasts. They were the ones who cleaned up the carrion, the dead bodies of animals or people. Outside are the dogs and the magicians, the witches, the Wiccans, the Harry Potters. They were not included among the righteous. The fornicators, the murderers, the idolaters, the ones loving and doing a lie. Well, who are the ones loving and doing a lie? The ones who think they own themselves. The ones who go about their business choosing what they will do with their time, energy, and money. Who have no regard for a holy and righteous God. Please, a day of judgment is coming. That day of judgment, you will be judged based on what you have done, Jesus said, not on what he has done. Some of you believe that when you go to the judgment bar, Jesus is going to look your direction and he will see himself. That's not what Jesus says anywhere in the scriptures. Rather, he says, at the judgment bar, he's going to look at you and he is going to judge you based on what you have done. And the question is, will you have returned yourself 
to the Almighty God of heaven, or will you be considered a thief and a liar? Will you be cast out as unclean because you have not returned yourself to Almighty God? Now, we're almost out of time today, but I want to come back to where we started. I want to come back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are the the poor in spirit. To those who are finally willing to be courageous and face the true spiritual condition of their heart, who are willing to give up and turn away from owning themselves and owning their time and owning their money, who will say, I belong to the Lord. I belong to Jesus. My time, my money, my energy, they all belong to Jesus. I have stolen myself. And they begin to mourn over their sin and over their wickedness. And they will be comforted as they are made righteous, as they are made holy by the power of the blood. It is not Jesus' intention that I should have to go back and deal with the grinding poverty of my spirit again. I should never have to go back to that if I am sanctified if I am made righteous, if I have humbled my heart before Almighty God. I walk in victory now. One of the great errors of my life that has caused me a great deal of pain is that I always stayed at the beginning, always confessing my sin, and never claiming the victory in Jesus Christ. Now what happens after I have left my sin and I find an area of immaturity in my life? I call upon the name of the Lord to grow me up, to forgive me for my immaturity, even though immaturity is not a sin. but it's falling short of the glory of God. And so as the Holy Spirit brings me into conviction regarding, I don't go back to the beginning. I am already made righteous. I'm not walking in any known rebellion against Almighty God. I have wept over my sin. I am now humble before him. I have given myself to him. And now it's clear in First John that if a man, by some accident, by some surprising attack of Satan and giving way to that wickedness, and I sin against Almighty God, that will cause me again to mourn over my sin before Almighty God. But it's quickly taken care of and I move forward in victory in Jesus Christ. It is not given to me to walk day after day in defeat. It is given me to walk day after day in the joy of the Lord, in his love and in his care and in his peace. In other words, I don't go down these stairs. I I continue to move up these stairs. If I find that I have not been merciful in the way I think I should be merciful, I identify that before God. And by faith in the name of Jesus and by his blood, I am now going to be merciful. And I have the victory. 
The victory comes quickly because I am dwelling close to the Lord. I am not far away from him. I am close. His heart and my heart are one. I came into the prayer closet this morning. I had such a sense of intimacy with God. I have to confess, I woke up this morning. I was a bit out of sorts in my spirit. Because there are things that are happening that I'm not pleased about. I quickly turned those over to the Lord. I'm not in charge. He is. He knows what he wants to do. I just began to pray for people who have upset my heart. I lifted them up before the Lord and in joyous victory asked that his will be done in their lives, that he bless them. I don't need to carry their anger or their disrespect. I don't need to carry their attitudes. You might guess I am an object. I am a a target that many people want to shoot at because of these messages that I bring day by day. It's all right. I am hidden in Jesus Christ. And I had such a sense of his closeness, of, of his intimacy with me. And I've carried that all morning. That's my normal life. Because I'm not going to steal myself from Almighty God. I'm not going to hide myself from him. I'm going to walk in victory in Jesus Christ. Well, we're out of time for today. I want to pray. Lord, I pray that this message has been helpful to my brothers and sisters. Lord, I don't want to stay in that grinding poverty of spirit. I want the total victory. I want the total victory and the joy of walking in your presence, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. I will report the miracle of God that we now have last month's radio bill completely covered. That only happened by your being willing to give and to give sacrificially. You remember just a week ago, we were more than $2,000 short. By God's grace, that's been covered. The radio bill is covered for last month. And we're started now. We've started now on this month. Already offerings are coming in. Mike, thank you. And others, thank you. I'm humbled by your consistent giving at the order of the Holy Spirit because of your love for Jesus and your love for the work of the gospel. Now you can continue giving for this month's radio bill by going to nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. Everything you give will go toward the work of the gospel to pay the radio bill. You can write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I'd be interested in your comments. Has this broadcast been helpful to you? God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. I love you.